Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Willis Reed, it wasn't for James Harden, but if it inspired Kevin Durant to greatness the way Reed did for Walt Frazier back in the day, it worked just as well for the Brooklyn Nets. Folks, this is a very special City Game podcast. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com, and folks, I think my tweet after the Nets' pivotal Game 5 victory over the Bucks on Tuesday night said it all. I just felt so privileged to be inside Barclays Center on the night Kevin Durant put forth the greatest performance I've ever seen. Remember, folks, I'm pretty old. And I've seen lots of NBA games in person. KD, though, he was just, I don't, I don't know what's the word. I mean, I keep thinking of the old movie Annie Hall and Woody Allen's date gushing over some cult figure as transplendent. I don't know, is that even a word? Whatever, you know, my son Jack texted me that it was simply absurd. It certainly was historic. 49 points on just 23 field goal attempts, 17 rebounds, 10 assists. First player in NBA playoff history to record a triple-double of that magnitude. Goes without saying that it also set a Nets playoff scoring record. Three steals and two blocks as well. He played every second of the game. You know, knowing that Coach Steve Nash was going to have to ride him I had set like this unofficial over-underline at 44 minutes for him. KD crashed through it with apparent ease. And Harden? In about 24 hours, this guy went from being declared out with, you know, that hamstring relapse he suffered in game one to doubtful, then to questionable. And finally, you know, after some physical therapy and a good pregame warm-up, to available for the starting lineup. And then he goes out and labors for 46 minutes on that bum hamstring. You know, missing nine of his ten shots, including all eight from beyond the three-point line. 
But, you know, to me, I viewed him as a settling fixture out there, despite almost no mobility on the defensive end. And he was inspirational. So, with this amazing 114-108 victory, the Nets are now up 3-2 on the Bucks with Game 6 set for Milwaukee on Thursday night. And believe me, I know all too well that this series is far from over. But I think I speak for most of you when I thought that the Nets were toast if they couldn't put Tuesday night in the win column. But they did. And really, I'm just so thrilled that this season isn't quite over. So I felt the need to go out and get you the most enthusiastic special guests I know. And that's the fantastic voice of the Brooklyn Nets on WFN and the Nets Radio Network. The longtime color commentator Tim Capstraw will be joining me shortly. So should be a good show for you folks today. Like always, I ask that you please subscribe to this podcast wherever you choose to download the episode be it Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or some other platform. And if you're on Apple, please let me know what you think in the review section. So, like I imagine most of my friends on the net sports writing beat did, you know, this show necessitated a rewrite with about a quarter and a half remaining in Tuesday's contest. You know, when Brooklyn got down by 17 points, figured this would be a very somber episode. Was all set to bemoan how the Nets coughed up Game Three when they could have basically stuck the proverbial knife in the Bucks' back, but then blew that golden opportunity by losing by the throwback to the 1990 score of 86 to 83. So instead of going up 3-0, Brooklyn gave Milwaukee some life, and then Kyrie Irving joined Harden on the sidelines in the second quarter of Game Four when he landed on Giannis Antetokounmpo's foot, spraining his ankle. I mean, I'd been telling you folks all year that good fortune in the health department was going to be the number one factor as to which team will advance the furthest in these NBA playoffs. And then it sure looked like the Nets would not be among the lucky ones this season. I know everybody likes to say things like, you know, you can't use injuries as an excuse or next man up. But come on. That's for guys like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jeff Green you know, complimentary guys. When you're losing all-stars like James Harden and Kyrie Irving, that's going to be awfully hard for any team to overcome. Really, you're just not. I mean, not when your go-to guy in crunch time of Game 3 was Bruce Brown. Not when you're relying on Mike James to drive the offense after Irving went down in Game 4. So, you know, like I said, this Game 5 comeback came out of nowhere. Nets were sputtering on offense for the third game in a row, wasting some of the best defense they played all season. Now, you know, the consensus opinion was that Brooklyn just missed shots. You know, they got good looks, but they missed shots. And the channel Joe Biden for a second. What malarkey. It was only last week when I lauded the Nets for their magnificence and their ball movement in the first two games. You know, passing up good shots for great shots. 25 assists in Game 1, 27 assists in Game 2, Game 3, 15 assists. What happened? Folks, I'm sorry to tell you that it was more than just simply missing shots. You look at the tracking data on NBA.com, and it tells a completely different story. In the first two games, the Nets averaged around 300 passes per game. 
That dropped to about 248 per game in the two games in Milwaukee. And if you think pace played a large part in that, uh uh-uh. Nets averaged about 100 offensive possessions per game in both venues. But because of that change in mentality, however, the shots they took were more contested. Again, you know, not having Kyrie out there for the last two-plus quarters in Game 4 obviously contributed to this disparity. But if you're just isolating on Game 3 here, the ratio of shots that NBA.com marked as tightly guarded versus those that were deemed open was 58% to 42%, whereas those figures were pretty much reversed in Brooklyn. So the Nets got that ratio back over 50% open on Tuesday night. But, you know, the funny thing is, they didn't shoot appreciably better on the best looks. Just 10 of 20 on wide-open shots with at least 6 feet of distance. Of course, you know, having KD knock down everything even when bodied up by the hacking bucks makes all the difference in the world. Durant made 10 of 16 shots on what NBA.com tracking deemed tightly contested. But, you know, will Durant have that kind of night again this series? Who knows? But I'm telling you, the root cause of the Nets' offense's recent struggles was as much shot selection as shot making. I mean, other than Joe Harris, who's missed 16 of his last 23 point attempts, who out there really was missing a bunch of wide open looks? Now, you do have to credit the Bucks for some of that inefficiency and the refs, who allowed them to play way more physically at home than in Brooklyn. But, you know, that's life in the NBA, folks. Been that way for a century, and ain't nothing going to change, as they say. Milwaukee was clearly the more desperate team in both those games. So they laid the wood on the nets, particularly KD. And, you know, I asked Blake Griffin about that after Game 3, and here's his response. Hey, Blake, uh, piggybacking on the physicality, it seemed like Milwaukee being desperate up the physicality on their defensive end. When you looked at the film, was there some ways where you feel that like you could have countered that better? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely some ways we could um, we could have countered that a little bit better. Um, and, and, you know, we walked through them. We, we went over them. I think everybody sort of recognized them. Um, you know, the thing is, we, we got shots. Um, we got some open shots. We just didn't really hit shots. And, and like I said, I, I'm um, you know, willing to bet that we'll, we'll hit shots more often than, than not. So, um, you know, we just got to stick with our game plan, make those tweaks and, and, and um, make sure we, we come into game four, you know, with that physicality and intensity. And Blake Griffin goes again, you know, with just missing shots. But anyway, whatever. Like I said, it really was a crying shame that the Nets couldn't take advantage of that opportunity because, you know, their defensive effort, pretty much all series, has been exceptional. Brooklyn is holding the fifth most efficient offensive team in the league over the regular season to ridiculous about 100 points allowed per 100 possessions. They're rebounding over 77% of Milwaukee's missed shots. Remember you know, how they were around 65% in the Boston series? And, you know, if you take out that first quarter of Game 1 where the Bucks had nine second-chance points on nine offensive rebounds, the rate has been a couple of ticks higher since. So I asked Griffin about that, and here's the clip. Hi, Blake. Uh, since the first quarter of Game 1, the team has done a pretty good job of limiting second-chance points. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of a gut bend that uh, triggered that? 
Was there any kind of what? Adjustment. Um, it, more of just like a conscious like group rebounding effort. Um, you know, always having a body on Brook. I mean, Brook's a huge. Um, so always having a body on him, and then you know everybody coming back in. I think the first like first quarter of the first game, I didn't do a great job of like coming back in after like challenging a Giannis shot or if he was floating out on the perimeter I didn't do a great job of that and um, I think as a whole we've done a much better job of, of gang rebounding um, since that first quarter so good job by Blake Griffin there a little bit of self-awareness so you know Brooklyn is now in the driver's seat in the series with a one game margin for error but you know before I get into what's in store going forward let me keep the good vibes flowing by bringing in my special guest this week, the outstanding analyst on the Nets radio broadcasts, the great Tim Catstraw was gracious enough to give me some time. So here's my interview with Tim. Folks, I'm delighted to have on the line the great voice of the Nets longtime color commentator for WFAN and the Nets radio network. The always fired up Tim Catstraw is on Zoom with me. Tim, thanks for giving me some time to talk Nets today. Anything particular happened recently that got you all fired up? Uh, it doesn't take much for me. You know, it doesn't take much. And yes, uh, that performance by Kevin Durant, uh, even with very little sleep, uh, I am fired up. I, I, I had a little bit of coffee. I don't need much because I'm, uh, I'm still all pumped about uh, what I witnessed last night. It was some, some performance. It was beautiful. So, you know, you've been doing this for like 19 years now. So can you put that performance in some perspective for me? I mean, have you ever seen anything more incredible in person? I don't think for an individual game, you know, it's, I don't think for an individual game I have seen that. I've seen Jason Kidd Willis team through playoff victories in a series, but for an individual game, all things considered down 17, not really having the help with any other star players and the performance that he, that Kevin Durant put on I, I, for an individual game, it was the single best performance I, I had watched. And certainly in the playoffs, I think it's the best performance, individual game performance that a, a, a net, and, and at least in our time in the last 20 years, as we can remember, it, it, it is clearly the best performance ever. Yeah, I mean, you put together highlight packages for the Nets radio account on Twitter. So as you were going through the video of the game, you know, what was Katie doing that stood out to you? You know, it was about more than just making shots, right? No, it was. It was it was more than that. And what I what was surprising to me is I, I forgot how many great passes he had. You know, he had 10 assists, but there were a number of just beautiful passes, great setups, whether it be along the baseline to the opposite corner to Landry Shamit, little pick and roll with Blake Griffin one in the first half where he was almost falling down, almost like, uh, you know, parallel with the ground and he, not almost, he was almost falling down and got it to Blake Griffin. I forgot how well and how brilliant his passing was in the game. I've, and then his rebounding numbers were, were ridiculous. I saw as the game went on, though, as you saw, that most of his damage in the first half was off the block. You know, a lot of stuff off the block, off the wing. And what, what you noticed, and you saw this even during the game, obviously, that he went from that guy receiving the pass to the guy that was advancing the ball up over half court and then making a lot of plays off the high screen. The screen came up a little bit higher. He would attack different players. Oftentimes it was Brooke Lopez. Then they had to get him out. 
and different guys were out there and his unique ability to, he was swerving and making plays to the rim a couple times. Then he swerved and, and got to the, got to the elbow area. Then he pulled up and made a three. It was so, so amazing. Talk about just dominating at all three levels, but even in the, as I do the replays, you see the progression of going from a guy that was receiving the ball uh, and that was a nice adjustment by Steve Nash to the guy that was uh, the guy that was making the plays happen himself uh, up in half court, advancing the ball or kind of kind of playing the point guard that he plays quite often. Yeah, and that's, that makes him the fact that he played all 48 minutes, not a second of rest, all the more impressive because, you know, he had to work harder on offense, you know, and he was battling underneath. He had 17 rebounds. So, you know, he didn't, it's not like he got a, to take a break. No. And then late in the game, he went on Middleton. It, when he, what, uh, he's blown me away this, this uh, series about his defense. Some of his closeouts that I've watched have been like clinics, how quick he gets there, how fast, how long, obviously. And he uh, competes in his individual defense. And then he, his help side uh, ability to block shots, he's uh, scrambling after loose balls. Listen, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing in so many different levels. And, and again, his numbers say it, the defense said it's, you know, even, even stood out to me just as brilliant as it comes. And it's what everybody's saying all around the country right now. No surprise here. This is one of the great performances um, in the history of the NBA and playoffs. And uh, I was just really, really, uh, and I know you were too, just thrilled to be there. Of course, yeah. But, you know, going into the game, the big story was James Harden. You know, he wasn't supposed to play, and then he did. And he ended up playing 46 minutes. I know he didn't shoot it well, but, you know, I just said before that I thought he was a settling presence. You know, what yes. did you see from him that warranted 46 minutes? Well, uh, well, I, I think the importance of the game warranted whatever it had to, whatever had to be done. Obviously, if Kevin Durant's never coming out and James Harden – uh, on a bad leg is playing 46. I think, I think everybody knew the importance of this game. The Nets would have a very difficult time winning the series if they didn't win the game. So they played it like, like it was a game seven because it felt like a game seven. And uh, I thought James Harden, first of all, was an incredible inspirational leader. The fact that he played. And I didn't know going into the game like how – how injured he still was, you know, was he really close to getting back? Was he going to be almost a hundred percent? And it was obvious that he, he's not going to be that he's not going to get to a hundred percent, but you're right. He is a settling presence. I thought in the second half, as things progressed, he made a couple bu uh, bullet passes down low. I think that Joe Harris and Bruce Brown, I set up guys a few other times and I think he'll probably be capable of knocking down some of these shots. He was short on a few of them. I saw him in warmups. He shot the ball pretty well. But uh, it's, I'll be anxious to see what his recovery is like today, yeah, you know, to say, you know, what, what his status is for tomorrow. And, um, but it was more, it was inspiration. But you're right. They also, I think Budenholzer, the coach of the Bucks, always felt like he had to have a quality defender on him. And so the fact that maybe, Drew Holiday was on him quite a bit. Was uh, took him took Holiday off the fact that he might be guarding somebody else and maybe freed up some other people because even though Harden wasn't trying to get by people, he was still a factor that you had to respect. Yeah, I think also he got the crowd into the game. And I, I played yes. at the top that you know. Then they introduced him. I was a little worried because you know. 
Barkley Center is kind of a late arriving crowd, but they they were in it. They didn't give up. And I, I, that fourth quarter, probably as loud as I've ever. Heard. You know, you know what stood out to me? It wasn't a front running crowd. It wasn't like after the fact they cheered. As the Nets were looking for energy, the crowd gave it to them. I thought it was unbelievable. I thought it was a different type. I've seen crowds go wild after you're watching a guy make three threes in a row or something. The crowd goes wild. There was a moment where the where the where the maybe the Nets got it within ten, but it was kind of it was kind of you know stable for a little bit, and then all of a sudden the crowd just kind of gathered up their energy. They had the towels going. It was, and it felt like wow. They're trying to will these guys forward, and I thought it may, probably made an incredible – well, I thought, I'm sure it did – made an incredible difference. But I thought, think that that's a great point by you to acknowledge how good, how great the crowd was uh, last night and what a difference they made. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Tim Capstraw, the analyst, likes to longtime partner Chris Carino on the Nets radio broadcast. Tim, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Jeff Green – Another guy recovering from an injury, and then he lit it up with 27 points off the bench. And I thought Steve Nash made a wise move starting yeah. green in the second half, even though it was Bruce Brown in that spot to start the game. And Nash rarely varies from that script. He hasn't really done it all year. But I thought riding green early in that third quarter kept Brooklyn close enough until KD really took over in the fourth quarter. So what stood out to you? You know, not, you know, obviously the greens. Um, obvious shot making, but what else? Well, I thought he not only um, Steve Nash deserves credit, not only in the second half, but he took him out relatively quick. I don't have it in front of me, but about four or five minutes into the, into the first quarter, he went with Jeff green because uh, frankly, the, the, the bucks were not going to guard Bruce Brown and, and, and they were just kind of laying way off of him. And you have to offset of that, especially if it's Brooke Lopez out there, you have to create some kind of confusion and then Jeff Green was not only did it in the third quarter, but he really helped the Nets throughout the game. He made some first quarter threes that made the made it somewhat respect, respectful, uh, respectable. Excuse me, it's, I haven't slept much, but the um, uh, I thought, yeah, Jeff Green was was amazing. He's shooting his toughness, guarding Giannis. I thought he had a a good strategic, good hard foul where he wrapped him up late because you know that Jeff Green just understood that you don't, as the game gets late, don't give Giannis, he got a couple. Try not to give him uh, anything right at the rim, make him earn it from the free throw line. And if you watch them closely, I think, and there's another guy I would check today. I, I thought he was laboring a little bit uh, up and down the floor. I don't know if it was head to be foot related or, be honest with you, we interviewed him after the game, Steve, and he's at the scores table, and he's a really nice gentleman, incredibly great interview. He was exhausted. I mean, the exhaustion factor, and he's another guy, though, because of his injury, hadn't been able to push his limits as far as uh, fitness, and um, he, he was exhausted. I hope that, you know, obviously he feels okay, and everybody just laid it on the line last night. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I got a couple more for you, Tim, if you don't mind, you know, the first one is a strategic one and it comes from kind of like everyone in the buck zoom calls asking Giannis why he hasn't guarded Durant much in this series. You know, maybe he will, maybe he won't, but you know, I don't think it matters because if the bucks continue to play drop coverage on it, it, roles, it, it, 
Exactly. Yeah. Or they switch. What are they going to do? The Nets are just going to set a ball screen up for him, right? They're right. just going to they're going to set a ball screen. Either they're going to play drop or they're going to switch. Now, if you played him on him and you wanted to trap, if you wanted to use some kind of trapping, but you want to use his length around the basket also, you know, especially if if um, if Brook Lopez isn't in the game. So uh, that's why they, they, have, they have such a they predicate their defense so much on rim protection that um, I, I, I don't know. But I think he would be screened off the play often. You know what I mean? Guys like Giannis aren't probably going to be great if 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 one of the Nets comes up and sets a ball screen for for Durant. And then all of a sudden, again, he's got the angles. He's got this and there's no Giannis behind the play. Um, so he could really attack the rim, especially if Brooke Lopez wasn't in the game. I think that would occur. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised though, if they, if they had a situation again, where Brooke, uh, Kevin Durant was bringing the ball up the floor and they just ran a double team quick at half court and then tried to deny the ball back to him. But they could do some of that. Maybe Giannis could guard him some, Listen, Middleton and and PJ Tucker or even Drew Holiday's guarded him some in this series. They're considered some of the best defensive players in in the league, and Giannis is too. I would give it a look if I were the Bucks, but I understand there are ways to get him off of it really quick. I think by just setting a ball screen. Yeah. So the last one I got for you is you know going to Milwaukee on Thursday is going to be tough. You know that didn't look too good in the prior two games there. So what has to be better for Brooklyn to be able to close this one out on the road and avoid a game seven that, you know, really could go either way. Well, I, I think even more guys got to step up and make plays. I mean, we got, that's got, if they're going to play and, you know, Nets are going to get threes. Joe Harris has got to make some threes. I thought Landry Shamit played very solid, especially in the second half. Um, James Harden's got to, if he's playing, he's got to be able to make some shots. Nets are going to have to make some shots. They're going to, you're right. They're going to send extra extra help towards Kevin Durant. They're probably going to not allow him to be to just go off again. And it's going to be up to other guys to be able to step up and, and make shots. Well, you know, up and down the lineup, Blake Griffin, Jeff Green, uh, everybody just. You know, I think Claxton to play a little bit more. It's not about shooting with him, but I'm just saying he'll play probably a little bit more. I think you got to get some guys a little bit deeper in the bench. I think the, the amount of minutes that the Nets played and it's only a one day turnaround on one day break. I think they're going to have to utilize a bigger bench and uh, yeah. guys are going to have to it, make it was kind of, it was kind of funny that both teams really only played seven guys in the second half. Yeah, no, so, it's it, it, it was, for the Nets. And I think Connaughton and I'm trying to remember, I, I'm slipping my mind, but maybe they had one other guy. Uh, Bryn Forbes a little bit. But they didn't play much in the second half. Um, no, I know. He didn't play much. Because the Nets were trying to attack him. They're trying to target right. him some. Uh, he made a – listen, it 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 was uh, a really good game. I thought the Bucks. I thought they became very stagnant offensively. I think with all the switching the Nets do, teams get, get lulled into go, ISO basketball, and I thought that backfired on the Bucks and they just didn't look comfortable down the stretch. And I, I, I thought Barkley made a pretty good, interesting statement on that ball that uh, Giannis bobbled. Was he hurrying because he didn't want to get fouled? I thought that was it. You know, is that why he bobbled the ball? I, I, I need, I looked at that a little bit. You never can, you never can tell exactly, but you're wondering in, in his mind, did he want to go a little quicker because he just wanted to get the shot up quickly and avoid the foul? Well, Tim Capstra, 
I can't thank you enough for hopping on with me today. You're such a good friend and your work with Chris Carino on WFN and the Nets Radio Network is getting much deserved praise during this run. Long time coming in my opinion, but you know, thank you so much, Tim. People, your work, your, I follow you during the game. I follow your, your Twitter during the game because it helps me. It's like cheating on a test. <laughs> and I follow what you say and follow the game. And, I, you know, sometimes I crack up because I can't be quite as yeah, – when, when things aren't going well, you're not afraid to say it. But I, So I ain't going to do that too much. But your knowledge of the game as it's happening is elite. You <laughs> see the game and you can tweet it out quicker than anybody I've seen. In fact, I will say that there's a lot of guys out there that, that have helped me out. Uh, and I follow a little bit. It's become a, a new addition to how I broadcast the games. <laughs> and whether it be the Nets Dailies guys or you or Tom Dowd or different guys. But I can't believe how quickly you see the game and how sharp you are uh, throughout an entire broadcast. You are a must follow for people. And I think these podcasts are outstanding. And I appreciate all the work you do. Well, thank you again, Tim. So you're telling me that the, the Tim Capstro experience on the radio is a composite figure it's a composite figure i've been no no I'm, i can be i can be influenced because i don't want to uh you know that's the thing about you know twitter and all these everybody knocking you know people that like i'm an old guy but at the same time there isn't anybody you can't learn from and somebody oh man that piques my interest or i'm missing out on this or that yeah i scroll a lot but i just want you to do when i'm scrolling i'm looking at a lot of uh Steve Lichtenstein, and I, I'm really, really impressed, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, believe me, I learned more from you than you from me. I thank you again, Tim. I'll let you go get some sleep and have a good trip to Milwaukee. All righty. Can't wait. So thanks again to Tim Capstra of WFAN and the Nets Radio Network. He's one of my favorite people, always positive, always looking to help people out. And him and Carino – just a terrific duo on radio. I mean, incredible chemistry. So they'll both be headed for Milwaukee today to prepare for their Game 6 broadcast. As of this recording, we have no idea whether Harden will be active for that one. And, you know, we all assume Kyrie is done for at least this series. I know Reggie Miller floated this idea that the Nets should load manage their two remaining stars... But I don't think you can do that in the playoffs. You don't want to have to trust that Game 7 will go the same way as Game 5. I mean, the last two Game 7s the Nets played, the road team won. Brooklyn in Toronto in 2014 and Chicago at Barclays Center a year early. So I think you have to go into Game 6 with a sweeping the leg mentality. The Bucks have to be questioning themselves after letting Tuesday night slip away. Everyone's piling on Coach Buttonholzer, not that he isn't deserving. But, you know, if he's thinking the solution is to have Giannis guard KD, I mean, that's why I brought that up with Tim. I mean, Tucker has done a really good job on Durant, holding him to 49% shooting from the floor and 25% from three so far this series, according to NBA.com tracking, at least. You know, he just gets into foul trouble on the road. That's going to happen. You know, my issue with refs has always been about what they don't call as much as what they do. So, you know, I expect Tucker and Drew Holiday uh, both 
get back to being able to get into the Nets' bodies in Game 6 without fouling. Now, you know, the key for Brooklyn is to not get, like, hurried up. I think this is where Harden helps a lot. He just slows the game down. Yet, you know, there's usually time for him to initiate the right sequence that eventually leads to a good shot. You know, though Milwaukee has adjusted to not allowing Bruce Brown to get free in the paint pockets to hurt them with floaters, I think the Nets can still take advantage anytime Brook Lopez is on the court. If teams allow him to solely play rim protector, yeah, he can be a real difference maker on defense. But I still see him the way he was as a net. If you put him in pick and roll where all he can do is drop, he can get a ton of easy looks because he just can't come out to contest and still be able to get back to protect the rim. Moving his feet just isn't his thing. So anyway, look for Brooklyn to go for it. But if the game starts to get away from them, I don't expect them to chase it. Not with only one day off between games six and seven. Still, the takeaway here is that we are now guaranteed at least one more game at Barclays Center with the possibility always lurking that we might witness something historic. And for that, I'm most grateful. So that'll wrap up this episode of the City Game Podcast. Again, a big thank you to Tim Capstro of WFN and the Nets Radio Network. It's just a pip, huh? Hope it moved you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using. Odyssey, Apple, Stitcher, etc. Also, give me some feedback, huh? Hit me up on Twitter or in the Apple Podcast comments section. So you know, I'm going to have to play the next recording by ear. Could be a preview of the Eastern Conference Finals on Friday or Monday. Or, heaven forbid, a season finale. Now check me out on Twitter for updates. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.